first we start with my guest, Liberal MLA Peter Millobar. Very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Peter, thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, so let's talk about this DoorDash fee here as we segue to something uh, that's less important than what we see going on in Strathcona Park. I'm just, I'm just still furious about that. But let me ask you about DoorDash because we had the government, the BC government had recently announced they would cut the delivery fees for DoorDash deliveries. I know this is something the Liberal Party have been calling for too, and you guys support it. Let me play this real briefly for you, Mike Farnworth here. Effective December 27th, the delivery fees will be capped to 15%, providing immediate relief for struggling restaurants and cafes. Okay, so they do that, they cut the fees, and then DoorDash turns around and imposes a made-in-BC fee. So they whack DoorDash customers in BC with a new fee in response to the BC government. Peter, what do you, what's going on here? Well, well, first off, Mike, I, I just want to agree with you that on the grand scheme of things, this is minor compared to some of the other situations we're seeing, and uh, especially what you let in with. But, uh, you know, I think it's something that's just captured um, people, and it's kind of one of those principal uh, pieces that people have. Everyone in the hospitality industry right now is hurting, including delivery services, although they've had higher volumes because people are ordering more than ever before. Um, and so, you know, you see a restaurant who is struggling, uh, needing those fees capped to try to stay alive. Uh, you know, when you tip a, a delivery driver uh, from these apps, uh, the tip doesn't go to the restaurant. Uh, the kitchen staff are seen, uh, although their volume, they're still pumping out food. They're not part of the tip pool anymore uh, that they would have saw inside a restaurant. Restaurants aren't seeing the, the food and beverage uh, sales like they would have saw. So to see, um, you know, a food delivery app uh, try to come in with a 99-cent surcharge, I think it just rubs people the wrong way, recognizing that there's a lot of servers out there hurting as well. Okay, so it's a 99-cent BC fee, as they call it, and of course, they charge GST on top of it, so tack on another five cents GST, so a tax on the fee. Uh, you know, do they have any, what is DoorDash supposed to do, though? I mean, they, the government's moved in, uh, cut their own fees. Do you think they're within their rights to do this, or do you think this is just bad business for them? Well, they're within their rights uh, by the looks of it, but uh, there's within your rights and there's doing what um, is tone deaf at the same time. And so, you know, like I say, the the whole premise of bringing in a cap was because uh, the larger chains were able to drive down a, a lower percentage delivery charge in the first place uh, out of these uh, delivery companies. Uh, the cap simply gave uh, the small mom and pops uh, the ability to still access a customer base uh, while still not uh, losing their shirt uh, and basically uh, cooking food and, and not turning zero profit. Um, and so to have this as a response, as I say, it's it's more about principle. And, and uh, the public is, is an interesting time right now in terms of uh, where they're willing to take a stand or be vocal about. And, and uh, one would think that corporately, uh, these delivery companies that are going to start adding this 99 cents here and there yeah. I would think twice about that. Yeah, I wonder if some of these other apps would follow suit here and add a similar fee. I mean, there's so many of them. There's Skip the Dishes, there's Uber Eats. Could they be the next to impose a British Columbia delivery fee here? You tell me about your experience there with Skip the Dishes. What happened? Your account got hacked? Yeah, actually, this was about 14 months ago. So we haven't actually used uh, Skip for 14 months. Uh, the account got hacked. We got the alerts. There were some deliveries being made, which she thought was strange. They wrote in Montreal. Uh, we shut down our credit card, found out it wasn't the credit card that was hacked. There was no other uh, fraudulent charges whatsoever on the card. 
uh, Connect was skipped. They keep telling us to go back to financial institution. Uh, the interesting thing is, as my wife was looking into it more, we found a, a Vancouver Sun article from a few days previous from our uh, situation where the exact same thing happened. And, and it's interesting watching her email threads with their lack of customer support area and uh, the fact they wouldn't give us a phone number to call, just like the, the gentleman in the Sun story. So it's a little more prevalent, I think, out there. At least it was 14 months ago than people realized that um, you know, there, there overall still needs to be some changes to a, an ever-changing and, and relatively new industry out there in terms of how it interconnects with, with the public and, and the restaurant industry much, as a whole. How much, uh, how much money did you lose there in that hack on your credit card? There was uh, four charges in Montreal that were for just a little around $400 in four different restaurants all around the same time. So, uh, yeah, it was well, most definitely not us. We were sitting in our home in Kamloops when the alerts came through watching some TV. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's unnerving. So, yeah, so you're, sit- you're sitting, uh, you're watching TV in Kamloops and someone's ordering takeout on your credit card in, in Quebec, in Montreal. Yeah, and interestingly yeah. enough, the, the Sun article was out of uh, Montreal as well. And so there was obviously something going on out there, and, and Skip corporately decided to just try to ignore the fact that uh, people from British Columbia around the same time frame were all having the same experience and, and putting it back wow. to banks should refund the money. Interesting. So, so given your experience there with Skip the Dishes on that one, I mean, generally speaking, when we take a look at these food delivery apps, uh, if there was a, if someone started a petition or a boycott against DoorDash because of this 99 cent delivery fee they've inflicted here in, in British Columbia, do you think they would blink or do you think they'd even budge an inch if people, if people complain? Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, every business and every industry has their, has their good moments and their bad, right? And so, um, you know, people are, are going to make their choices of which delivery app. I talk to other people that, that love using Skip. I have some of my kids still use Skip and have had no issues with it. So um, everyone's going to have their own personal experience. But uh, in this case, the 99 cent charge, I mean, all you have to do is, is look online to see how quickly it's it's striking a chord with people. And again, um, you know, dollars and cents don't always uh, uh, relate to directly to, okay. to the principle of the matter. And I think that's what's really struck people in a time of high stress, trying to do the right thing, stay out of restaurants, but still support a restaurant. Uh, they just see this as a, as a, a kick in the shins that uh, to them and the restaurant industry in general, and, and uh, they're frustrated by it. Okay, what's your message to skip the dish? I think I said earlier this is a DoorDash fee, and I'm, I believe I've got that wrong. This is a skip the dishes fee uh, that's been imposed here. What is your what is your message to skip the dishes here for the, this 15-cent delivery fee or this 99-cent delivery fee? Tell them to back off. Well, I hope they listen to their customer base. Um, I'm not a customer of theirs anymore for the last 14 months, so they don't have to listen to anything I say, I guess. But uh, I, I think they're seeing it loud and clear on social media right now. And, and uh, you know, although they have uh, great ads on TV, uh, they, they need to rethink this, I think. Um, you know, it could be penny-wise and, and pound-foolish in terms of uh, are they going to lose more customers than they ultimately uh Uh, keep are their drivers going to see their tips drop uh, to offset the dollar in which case uh, it's a net loss to the the overall drivers that they say this is uh, supposed to benefit and so um, you know i think they have to put all of that together and make a corporate decision based on public sentiment which is ultimately their customer base thank you for coming on this morning great thanks so much all right welcome back to the show let's talk about canada's disrupted vaccine supply now deliveries of the pfizer vaccine pretty much dried up at the moment the justin trudeau government now warning the public deliveries of the moderna vaccine 
Also expected to have continuing delivery problems here. Canada now falling down the list of the world rankings of countries and per capita COVID vaccinations. We're last in the G7. Canada now also taking some heat for announcing they will try to secure some vaccine through the uh, COVAX program, which is a, a program for developing countries to get their share of vaccine. Let's talk about this now. What a great guest we've got for you. Dan Albus is uh, my guest. He's an M- conservative MP in the Okanagan. I'm pleased to welcome him back. Dan, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, Mike. Appreciate it a lot. Also on the line is Liberal MP Steve McKinnon. He represents the riding of Gatineau. He is the Parliamentary Secretary for Public Services and Procurement. Uh, Mr. McKinnon, thank you for coming on. Hello, Mike. Let me go to you first, Steve McKinnon. Give me, can you tell Canadians or can you tell our listeners what's going on with our vaccine supply right now? Indeed. Well, we, uh, of course, uh, like every country in the world, uh, have uh, intense demand for vaccines. And as production ramps up all around the world and uh, in both approved vaccines and yet-to-be-approved vaccines, uh, Canada will be uh, in, stood in very good stead because We've uh, achieved uh, agreements with seven manufacturers. Five of those have yielded, two are approved, five have yielded incredibly encouraging clinical trial data. Uh, And uh, as we roll through 2021 and into September, uh, we will be offering vaccines to every Canadian who wants one. So you're confident that you'll still have vaccines delivered for everyone by September? Yes, we will. And that's just of the two approved vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna. Of course, uh, as other vaccines get approved, uh, we know about AstraZeneca. We know about uh, uh, two others, uh, Johnson & Johnson, and now, um, uh, the, I'm sorry, the fifth one is escaping me, but the, uh, we will absolutely get uh, uh, increased numbers such that uh, we will have well in excess of the number of uh, doses required okay. to vaccinate every Canadian. Conservative Novavax M- is the fifth, of course. Yes. Novavax. Conservative MP Dan Albus, what do you say to that? Well, I'll give credit to Steve for sounding really cool in the heat of, of the pressure. For gosh sakes, we're 34th in the world. Look, Aaron O'Toole said it this morning. We want the government to succeed because without vaccines, we can't secure our future. There is no recovery without, without having uh, vaccines. And look, I'm hearing from my constituents, I have people that are uh, seniors that are not in long-term care homes that are asking, what about me? When am I going to get it? And unfortunately, this government continues to to reel from one thing to another. First, it was Plan A was the CanSino. That didn't turn out. They weren't transparent about it. Then Plan B was this great portfolio that Steve likes to talk about. But they haven't been transparent like the Biden administration or the European Union. So now we're looking at domestic production. That's Plan C. that uh, the Prime Minister says, guess what, we're going to have these things operate in July. His minister comes out right after and says, no, actually, that's at the end of the year. The NRC says later. And lastly, now, Plan D is to take from uh, developing countries through COVAX. Look, they're taking 1.9 million doses of a vaccine that has yet to be approved by Health Canada. We're the only G7 country doing this. That, to me, says that things are not all right. So for Steve to, to act like he's uh, cool and in charge... I got to give him credit for that. Okay, Steve McKinnon, what do you say to that? 
Well, I don't know where to start. Uh, I will. Uh, I do think uh, it's important to discuss the COVAX issue, however, because that's a very, very good story for Canadians. Um, the COVAX facility is essentially a, a bulk gr- buying group of countries. Canada is uh, among the top two participants in that program. There's a Part A and a Part B. A Part A is a, let's call it, wealthier nation buying group, which gives the COVAX buyers leverage with these manufacturers, and that secures doses. It was always intended that Canada and other countries like New Zealand and others, Norway, uh, would would, uh, get doses from that Part A. Part B is a donation using the leverage created in Part A. Part B is a buying group for less well-off countries so that uh, small countries that perhaps don't have the financial resources we do have access to a leveraged buying facility where they can get their uh, cost per dose down and inoculate their citizens more quickly. COVAX is a very, very good story, and I think it's important that we tell that story. But Canada, though, taking a black eye on this, we're the only member of the G7 group of wealthy countries listed as as taking vaccine from this program right now. So doesn't it make Canada look bad in the world stage? It looks kind of Canada looks kind of desperate here. Oh, quite the contrary. This is what COVAX is. It is a buying group for wealthier countries so that we can create leverage with pharmaceutical companies to supply vaccines to less well-off countries. Dan that Albus, is exactly, that is exactly what it's intended for, Mike, and that is exactly uh, the route that we're following. And uh, countries will draw down on their facilities as the, uh, as the need arises. Dan Albus, what do you say to that? Well, first of all, Doctors Without Borders is questioning this, that, that we're actually going to make uh, people in developing countries uh, and, and take for ourselves because this government wasn't smart in dealing with its CanSino deal. Uh, and look, the U.K., did not have the, the domestic production capacity. Why are they so far ahead of everyone? Well, it's because they actually made it happen right away. And you, we, we hear from companies like uh, Providence Therapeutics in Calgary. They went to the government, and the government basically blew them off. So you know what? You know, Steve can sound cool as a cucumber as, as he wants, or I want some urgency from the government. I want them to actually start answering questions. Why won't Steve put up on the, the Internet, like the Biden administration, like the European Union, like so many other countries, the contracts so that we can get a better understanding what's happening. Why is this prime minister constantly putting out as someone else to tell people bad news like General Fautin uh, when he, he won't even say, he won't even admit in the House of Commons that after February 22nd, we won't, we'll have a major disruption of Moderna. And he won't even say no. that. He uses someone else. It's a lack of leadership. And from Steve, okay. I'm hearing a lack of urgency. Okay, Steve McKinnon, what do you say to that? There have been demands from uh, a lot of people saying, why don't you show us the contracts for the supply of this vaccine? Why not disclose those contracts? Yes, thank you for that question. We get it a lot, and it's important to point out that no country has disclosed the entirety of their contracts with uh, vaccine manufacturers, and there's a very, very good reason for that, and I think Dan Albus knows it very, very well, and that's because we are in a global uh, race to vaccinate our citizens. I don't think it's any secret that every country um, this, the equivalent of the person playing my role in every country is being asked the exact same questions about a vaccine rollout. And uh, we are working on a daily, hourly basis with pharmaceutical manufacturers to make sure we get every possible dose into Canada at the earliest possible date. And, uh, and I can what? assure Dan that uh, no one's going about that job 
calmly. Everyone's going about that job with great urgency, and everyone's going about that job feeling, uh, as, as Dan pointed out, that every citizen that we can inoculate today uh, is perhaps uh, a COVID case that is avoided tomorrow. And right, but, I think but, we all feel that. But Mr. McKinnon, can you explain to the listeners why Canada has been shuffled so far down the list of global countries here in the delivery, per capita delivery of these vaccines? I mean, we're last in the G7. We're going down the list even farther in world rankings. Why? I mean, there's lots of other countries that do not have domestic vaccine production capacity that are far ahead of Canada. Why are we in this position? I think it's important we we develop, Mike, a little bit of perspective here. Um, this disease is not or is barely a year old. We are now talking about 12 months later, rolling out not one, not two, but up to five possible effective and safe vaccines, all of which have reached uh, significant agreements with Canada. Uh, we, of course, are experiencing temporary pressures on the Pfizer and the Moderna uh, uh, vaccines that are coming from Europe. All countries are experiencing some reduction in their allocations. Moderna uh, has announced uh, some, some subsequent reductions. But we have 6 million doses, the same 6 million doses that we told you about in December and January. We have 6 million doses of those two vaccines coming to Canada before the end of March, before the end of the first quarter, and another 20 million of those two vaccines coming to Canada before the end of June. And uh, that is uh, among uh, uh, um, the world's best agreements with those two manufacturers. And any incremental vaccines that come online that are approved by the independent independent regulator will be incremental to that. Okay, Dan Albert. What you're going to see is things ramp up pretty quickly in British Columbia and throughout the country, uh, such that uh, Canadians who want one We'll get one by late summer. Okay, Dan Albus, you got a minute to reply here. Yeah, so in Washington State, you know, 2 million more than British Columbia. They've vaccinated 616,000 people as of January 29th. Uh, B.C., as of the same date, was 119,000 or just shy of 20, uh, 120,000. In four days, they did the entire amount that B.C. has done so far. And their administration, their Amer- the, the federal government, actually posted details of it. And so, you know, to have, you know, what was supposed to be an open by default, better is always possible, to have Steve just basically say everything's okay when people are asking for it. Look, I had a constituent come to my office yesterday and he said, it's like going to a hardware store and they tell you we'll have you 40 snow shovels uh, by next August uh, when you're in the middle of a snowstorm. These guys are not getting it done Canada's conservatives okay. know that vaccines are key to getting us back on track as, as, as an economy, as a people. This government needs to do more. Steve needs to be more transparent. Okay. They didn't perform on PPE, and they're not performing on vaccinations. That needs to change. Okay, we'll leave it at that. I want to thank both of you for being here. I really appreciate both of your time. Dan Albus, he's a conservative MP from the Okanagan. Steve McKinnon, uh, liberal MP. He's the parliamentary secretary for public services and procurement. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about, about the death of 78-year-old Usha Singh, who was attacked and critically injured in her own home on Sunday. Police say two people posing as police officers knocked on her door. She opened the door. She was attacked and critically injured. She died in hospital on Tuesday. Now the latest on this. Officials have announced charges against two men. Pascal Boutillette 
has been charged with second-degree murder. Sandy Parisian is accused of manslaughter. Parisian was living in a tent at the Strathcona Park encampment where police attended and were met by a crowd of people. Have a listen to a couple of clips here we'll play for you on this shocking case here. Here's Sergeant Steve Addison from the Vancouver Police Department. He was asked, was this a targeted hit? Here's what he said. These are all good questions. I'd love to answer them. We're in the process of trying to understand all of the circumstances of what happened on Sunday. Are you confident that everybody responsible for this incident has been arrested and charged? Again, the investigation is ongoing. Okay, investigation continuing here. One of the most troubling aspects of this case was when police attended uh, the Strathcona Park encampment to make an arrest in this case. Uh, they were confronted by a large group of people. They had to call for a citywide backup in order to effect this arrest. Have a listen to Sergeant Steve Addison on that now. They were met by a very volatile and hostile crowd. Uh, as they were trying to execute the search warrant, Approximately 50 people did encroach upon them and attempted to interfere in the work that they were doing. Uh, very abusive verbally, encroaching as they were trying to execute the search warrant. Um, it got to the point where um, it was so volatile in the park that uh, the police officers who were there, the patrol officers, had to call for uh, emergency cover from all over the city. So that's called a code, code 3 cover. Okay, that is incredible to me. You've got a 78-year-old woman cr attacked, critically injured in her own home. She dies too late, two days later in hospital. You've got police looking to arrest a suspect. They are confronted by an angry mob of 50 people in the, in the encampment at Strathcona Park. A citywide backup alert for police goes out. This is unreal. We're continuing to follow this case closely for you. Let's talk about it now uh, with my guest. Doug Spencer, he's a former Vancouver Police Department detective, and he's a gang expert. I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Doug, thanks a lot for coming on. No problem, Mike. Okay, what goes through your mind when you hear a case like this? I just find this case so shocking. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, well, it, bring back, it brings back uh, bad memories for me. Years ago, uh, we followed a guy around that ended up, he killed, he had killed uh, a couple older women, similar down on Wall Street with a uh, pickaxe. Oh, and uh, when you know somebody's doing something like that, you can't let them go. You have to work on them 24-7 until you get enough evidence, right? Because all these older ladies down there are at risk. So um, the quick arrest is, is good, but uh, yeah, you just, it's unbelievable somebody would do something like that. And you could imagine what's going on in their life with their addiction and stuff to, uh, you know, lower your morals or like no standards, right? To kill an old lady like that is unbelievable. It, it is unreal. My heart just breaks for her and her family. Like, I just can't stop thinking about the terror and fear she must have felt when two people knock at her door and she thinks they're police officers. And then she's confronted with something like this. I mean, I think this is it's just absolutely despicable. And you mentioned that in a case like this, a, a quick arrest and and concerted investigation quickly is is critical. And I congratulate the Vancouver Police Department for the arrests in in, in this case. What do you think, Doug, about the stories we've heard about the police response at the Strathcona Park encampment? 
Um, they go down there to arrest a, a suspect here, and they're confronted by a mob of 50 people, and they've got a call for a backup across the city. You heard the sergeant there describe a code three cover call, code three backup call. What is that? Can you describe what that is? That's uh, an emergency thing where you drop everything you're doing and get there as quick as you can yeah. because officers' lives are at risk, right? Um you know, I have no doubt that the people down at that encampment probably are clueless to the fact that this guy did that. Um, you know, in jail, you have what they call skinners or whatever, guys that harm young children and stuff. They'll get beaten up or killed in jail. Even criminals have standards like that, right, where yeah. they they will call those kind of guys to task. So it's likely the encampment people didn't know at that point they did it but guys like that are predators right he's an addict old-time addict uh, a crook he is down in that encampment to uh, be a predator and prey on the weak people down there that are fighting mental health issues and drug addiction issues they're an easy target for him right the guy's a coward those are the type of people that he goes after okay um uh, no, nothing's been proved in court here. I just want to stress that the, the char- charges have been laid, uh, and everyone in, in our country, of course, is is innocent uh, until they're they're proven guilty. But let me let me ask you let me ask you this, Doug. The situation in Strathcona Park here right now. This is a neighborhood down there where people have been pleading for help for months, and they've been warning for months that something like this could happen. Someone could be killed. Uh, what do you think about the, the response from authorities here into the situation with that camp? We've heard a lot from Vancouver Police Department over several months as well about the dangerous situation down there, how this is eating up a lot of resources. When police officers have to respond to that camp in the park, they've got to go down there multi- teamed up because you can't just go in there with one or two police officers. It's a dangerous situation. And we certainly saw that in the arrest of, the, of this particular suspect. What do you think about the, that, the situation in that park right now and the response, or I guess the lack thereof, from authorities? Yeah, like it, it's pretty obvious that they've dropped the ball. Um, you know, politicians and stuff, we vote for them to help the people out do what's right for the people of the city and to allow that place to stay there over some political gain or vote getting or whatever. It's ridiculous. They have to make that place safe. There are people that live around that area, Strathcona. I've policed down there. They're great people, right? They're trying to struggle like other people, get their kid to Strathcona school and all sorts of stuff. Let them enjoy the park. Right. Because nothing's better for kids than getting outside and physical literacy and stuff. So, um, yeah, they have to step up to the plate and take the politics out of it and make it safe, plain and simple. Speaking of Doug Spencer, he's a retired Vancouver Police Department detective. Let me play this here for you. This is um, Jamie McLaren. He's a resident of the Strathcona neighborhood. Uh, one of the people who's been calling, pleading for help in the neighborhood there with this encampment. The largest camp of its kind in Canada is dragged on for months. And here he is reacting to the news that one of the suspects in, in this particular case here in the slaying of this elderly woman uh, lived in the park. And here's, what he, here's his reaction to that. Many of our neighbours are feeling very unsafe at the moment. 
Um, you know, we're, we're used to a high degree of property crime, petty, petty crime and, and, and property theft. Um, but when you learn that there's an alleged um, or possible homicide uh, or murderer in your, in, your, um, in your neighborhood, of course, that, that rings all sorts of alarms. Yeah, Jamie McLaren there. He's a resident of, of, the, uh, of the neighborhood. Councillor Pete Fry, I play this for you as well, Doug. This is city councillor here, also a Strathcona resident, saying there needs to be a unified response to the situation there in the park. Here he is. Enough is enough that we need to assert, assert some kind of safety and security and control in the park so that, that we're not seeing this as a haven for violent criminals who can, can take refuge in the park and have the park encampment residents rally to prevent the police from arresting guys who just invaded a woman's home and murdered her. I like this boggles my mind that we're not uh, taking a more assertive role. I certainly will be demanding that we take a more assertive role and, and I hope that uh, the mayor will step up and, and, and say that this has gone on enough is enough. Okay, Councillor Pete Fry there. I, I agree with a lot of what he had to say there. Doug, what your thoughts? They're frustrated, right? You, you don't feel safe in your own neighborhood. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware, Mike, but 60% of the violent crime in Vancouver is in the 10-block area down in Skid Row, right? Because there's guys, predators, like the guy, the coward who killed this lady, that they're down there. It's a hunting ground for them, right? They're, They're taking advantage of the fact and trying to hide in amongst everybody. And, you know, People that are at mental health risk, they, they have mental health problems, they got drug addiction problems. The people at the encampment, they're, they're fighting, they don't want the police down there because they want their drugs. And they're not certainly all drug addicts. There's a lot of homeless people there that need shelter and, and medical attention and assistance. You, the problem is when you have a, a large number of people like that, you're going to have predators that seep in there and take advantage of the situation. Right. What do you think the answer is? I mean, do you think you need like the, the mayor put out a statement and we actually have not heard a, like a face to face comment from from Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart on this situation yet, which I'm, I, I find puzzling as well. I think he should be out front and center on this. But he put did put out a statement saying that you know they need to get more housing. I mean, do you think that's. That's just one part of a puzzle, right? Well, you've got to shut that park down, but you've got to put the people somewhere when you shut it down, shut the camp down. Yeah, no, certainly. Like, if you want to get somebody back in their feet, they're going to need a warm shelter over their head, food, um, assistance, you know, medical-wise, mental illness, whatever. You don't just throw somebody in a room and they get better overnight, right? You, you have to invest resources to help people out of that situation and then you clean up the park right but there's this lots of talk and no action out of mr kennedy so like back up your you know walk the walk don't just talk the talk all right welcome back as we continue talking about the death of usha singh 78 years old critically injured in her own home on sunday she dies in hospital two days later got two arrests in this case now let's go to your phone calls paul on the line in delta hey paul good morning how are you i'm good what do you think well first of all let me begin by telling you the fact that uh, she didn't have to lose her life she would have she would have died gracefully and in, in her aging process 
this yeah. is a completely incompetent, irresponsible, and reckless uh, policies of the government or the agencies that led to this death. This is just the beginning. The worst is yet to come. So now the government needs to take accountability of this because they now have blood on their hands. And whoever the minister is responsible for this, she, she should be ashamed of herself or himself that they did not act when they needed to act to avoid something like this. So I hope that she can sleep at, uh, at night with a conscience if she has one, and I don't think she has one, but this, is, this could have been avoided completely. Could have, should have not been to this extent where a person's life has been taken. Paul, thank you for the call. You know, this is a, a situation, Doug, where the people in that camp has been there for many, many months, and, and people have been pleading for help during since it, it's, it started. Uh, now we see people dying. Uh, the caller says it could just be the start. We heard from one of the city councilors there in the clip we played. We need an, um, an emergency response. We need a, a comprehensive response. A little too late for that, isn't it? For, uh, cer certainly for this woman. Your thoughts? Yeah, no, for sure. You know, you were talking about the, the, the budget thing, which always comes up, right? You, you look back at the fireworks in Vancouver. There used to be a lot of trouble there the celebration of fights then they had more policemen show up at, and they, all the problems went away then you got the stanley cup riots where you get the mayor in the time said oh we're going to cut back on the budget and try this other scheme and it, how much did we save it almost leveled the city so like have enough policemen to go down there and do their job and stop holding them back we know how to do our job we don't go in like stormtroopers we go in and clean up the problem, get guys like is currently charged with killing that poor lady, get them back in jail. Let's go to Roger on the open line in Vancouver. Hi, Roger. Hi, Mike. Um, I'm sorry. I, 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 I urge your listeners to go onto YouTube and look at Fighting for the Soul of Seattle and see how this can escalate. Um, I believe that when those constables went down there, they should have had a SWAT team in there. And they should have just gone through the camp and do what they had to do. It's, you know, we're handling these people with kid gloves. You have, it's anarchy down there. And I believe that we should do something now to let them know there's a show of force and get this mayor of our city off the fact that we have to leave these people alone, clear out all the campers that have no registration on them. And if, if I left my camper parked on the street, it would be towed away. These people get away with it. And I'm not breaking the law. They are. So let's do something decisive now and get this Mayor Stewart out of there next election and get somebody in there with the cojones to do something about it. Thank Roger, you. Th Roger, thank you for the call. And thanks for everyone who called in on this one. Doug, thank you for bringing your expertise and your thoughts on it today. I appreciate your time. You're more than welcome. All right, welcome back to the show. We're three days away from the Super Bowl, and right now the BC Lottery Corporation calling on the federal government to legalize single-event sports betting. What do you think? Should you be able to plunk down a bet on the Super Bowl this Sunday on the BC Lottery website? They're calling it a missed opportunity. They want action from the feds. Our show contributor, John Jang, joins us now with the details. John. Hey, good morning, Mike. 
We are just days away from Super Bowl 55. It's the largest sporting event in North America and perhaps the largest missed opportunity for the Canadian government. For more on this, we're now joined by Matt Lee with Media Relations over at the BCLC. And good morning, Matt. Thank you so much for giving us some time here today. Morning, John. As I said, the Super Bowl coming up this Sunday, but we're focusing right now on the game inside the game, and that is sports betting. As it stands right now, Canadian federal law prohibits single-event sports betting in this country. Does that make a difference with how Canadians actually watch and take in something like the Super Bowl? Oh, yeah. I mean, let's look at it this way, John. The Super Bowl is by far and away the biggest sports betting event of the year. And let's talk about all the British Columbian bettors that want to place a single event bet just on the winner. They just want to pick between Tampa Bay and Kansas City. As simple as that, they're not able to actually do that unless they parlay it with something else. That speaks to how kind of outdated and, you know, archaic these Canadian laws are in that Canadian bettors are unable to make those kind of bets when down south of the border. American, bet- American bettors have been able to do this for the last few years. It's kind of crazy when you think about it that we're not able to do that yet. So we're really hoping and urging that the federal government will pass Bill C-13 to allow Canadians to make those single event sports bets. What do you think is the purpose of the current sports betting laws here in Canada? Do they provide any kind of benefit or maybe prevent any real risk to individuals? Yeah, I mean, these laws have been in place for for decades now, really. And I think at the time, there was a little bit of concern about um, match fixing and uh, perhaps like a responsible gambling aspect to it as well. And I think we've seen over the last few years, especially, there's been a bit of more of a culture shift towards betting. Um, again, like south of the border, uh, the USA struck down that ban on uh, illegal on sports betting. And then afterwards, we've seen uh, professional sports leagues now take a different approach towards sports betting as well. And in fact, you've seen all five major professional sports leagues in North America sign a joint letter to the federal government a couple of years ago saying that they actually supported single event sports betting. So I think we've seen that the the tune has shifted a lot, both um, culturally speaking and professionally speaking. So it seems like there's a, a clear path in the way of supporting single event sports betting. And I guess we're hoping now that the federal government will take that same approach. Would it be naive to assume that Canadians who enjoy sports betting are following the rules and not making bets on offshore accounts, not heading to the States to place bets at American casinos. Ultimately, the laws in Canada right now are seemingly enforced by using the honor system. I just don't see how it's supposed to keep a lid on every single example. Right. I mean, let's not be oblivious to the fact that there are definitely British Columbian players that are making, you know, single event sports bets on some of those illegal websites that you've mentioned, uh, or perhaps down south of the border in Washington state. But I think what the important thing to remember here, John, is that these are all things that don't keep gambling money in British Columbia. Um, you know, playnow.com, all of our revenue and net income is supposed to go to the uh, provincial government. They help support um, important pro- provincial programs, um, healthcare, education as well. And I think now more than ever, we're seeing how important it is to try and keep that money here in British Columbia. Um, you know, you think about some of those sports uh, websites that are, you know, players are making illegal sports bets on. They are building mansions in offshore states on some place in the tropics. And, you know, here we're trying to keep that money in British Columbia where we're helping to support, again, those provincial programs 
education and healthcare. I think that shows more than ever that it's important to try and keep that money here in BC. There's a lot of ways this money could be used properly. We're talking about a very difficult economic outlook for all of the provincial governments with COVID-19. And even aside from the pandemic, more money to be spent on schools, on hospitals, on infrastructure. I mean, you know, we talk about gambling. The provincial government rolled the dice on the Site C Dam project, and that looks like a bust, clear as day. So when we're talking about potentially a new revenue stream, just how much money could we be dealing with here? Right. And so BCLC is expecting, you know, single event sports bets to generate an estimated 125 to $175 million in additional revenue. And we're not talking about just the online-based opportunities. This is also a land-based opportunity as well. So, I mean, John, you, you live here in BC, you, you know the landscape and stuff like that. Think about how when we're able to safely reopen casinos and community gaming centers in BC, you could have potentially a licensed enhanced sports betting offering at some of these casinos um, to perhaps, you know, be able to place a bet on the Canucks game, watch it from the comforts of, you know, one of those great casinos. Um, and then even perhaps on a smaller scale, hospitality locations across BC, your favorite bar and local pub that sells lottery products, you're able to place it a game or place a bet rather on the Canucks and follow along while you're at the local bar and pub. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of opportunities, not just on the online scope, but also at the land-based casino or land-based opportunities as well. And all that money is just one example. Then you consider Alberta, Ontario, Quebec, the entire country. So it seems like there is a real missed opportunity here, Matt, by following these current outdated laws. Oh, absolutely. I mean, again, like we're just talking about the BC perspective and the BC opportunity here, um, you know, across the country. We're losing a lot of money in this country because players are making, again, those single event sports bets either south of the border or on some of those gray market websites. And the other thing I think that's important to highlight here when you look at those gray market websites, there might be a preference from players to play on those gray market websites, but you also have to understand that, for example, playnow.com, we actually have the responsible gambling safeguards to actually help protect player, players and their gambling behaviors. We have dedicated player health specialists to help them refer them to treatment and support services if needed. So if you're able to legalize single event betting in Canada, you're also able to bring players over to that regulated, safe, secure environment that also has those safeguards in place to help players if they feel that they have a problem with their gambling. He is Matt Lee, Media Relations with the BCLC. Matt, really appreciate you giving us some time here today and enjoy the Super Bowl this weekend. Thanks for talking to me, John. All right, John Jang joins me now. Good good interview, John. This is an interesting issue because right now, just so listeners understand, like right now, uh, there's no single single event sports betting allowed in Canada. That's still illegal, right? But if you go on the, the BC Lottery Corporation website under the sports action or the play now, you can still bet on sports, but you gotta mm-hmm. you have to pick like at least two or like two or three games, right? That's correct. Yeah. That's called parlaying. And anyone right, who right. knows anything about online betting, parlaying is dangerous. It's so hard <laughs> to try and win with a parlay. Yeah, because you got to predict the outcome of multiple games. So what people want to do right now, I mean, most people, and I, and I tend to be one of them. I think like putting a bet on a football game is like, whatever. It's just like one of life's small pleasures. I don't think it's that big. I mean, some people do have a gambling addiction, and I understand that. But man... Like, come on, you can't put down a bet on the Super Bowl. Like, I'm just, I, so I just took a look at the line, the betting line here in the Super Bowl. So the Kansas City Chiefs are favored by three points. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, the the underdog is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They are plus plus three. So I don't know. I mean, I kind of like I kind of like Tampa Bay there. I mean, you get ta- you get Tom Brady, exactly the greatest quarterback of all time, and you're getting three points on top of that. I mean, you it's know. hard to bet against Brady with his well, six Super Bowl rings, right? Well, then, but then again, the other you know you got Mahomes on the other side, the MVP, great quarterback, and all that. Yep. Um, so going for, you know, so, all right, welcome back to the show as we continue talking about betting on the Super Bowl. Should that be legal in Canada? Right now, you don't have single event sports betting in Canada that is still illegal. There is a bill making its way through the House of Commons might change that. But right now, BC Lottery Corporation, they want a piece of that action. They're saying, hey, if you want to bet on the Super Bowl, we want to take your bet. Bet on a single game. Do you think that should be allowed? 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 on your cell. Let's go to your phone calls here and speak to Peter in Surrey. Hey, Peter. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Sorry about the BS word last night. Yesterday, by the way, I kind of slipped on that one. <laughs> Sorry about that. That stuff happens. Uh, it's, okay. it's okay. It's all right. <laughs> as far as banks, and the government is losing so much, but you know why? Because there's so many. I, I have a bookie. I have their sportsinteraction.com. There's another site. You can bet anywhere you want. So they're losing so much money because they're trying to tell us how we should live our lives. And that's what the problem is. I've got so much money in this game. And I got, I got, like I say, different things. And by the way, everybody, the line's moving. The late money's going to probably come in on Kansas City. So I've got Tampa Bay at three and a half. It may even go to four in the late money. It may go to four in the late money. The late money's coming in. But I've got a personal bookie that that's even worse than anything. But because the government doesn't allow anything. I mean, you go to, you can go bet on any website you want and just put net and then change the net to .com and now you can bet on it. So okay. the government just refuses to just to acknowledge stuff like this. It's ridiculous. So, so they still got bookies, eh? Like there's still bookies out there operating, like a, Benny, Benny the yeah. bookie or whatever? Yeah, I have a bookie that we meet up every two weeks to settle up. We go to the pub, have a beer, and we settle up. And he owes me. He's got about 10, 15 clients. Guy makes a lot of money, but they're still they're still there. They're still out there, and that's because if you go to the government website, their payments are different too. If you go to real bookie parlays, pay like six to one, and a lot of the government sites they pay like five to one. They're oh, yeah. everything is different, no, so that's, that's a, why. That's a really good point, Peter. Thank you for the call. Like, yeah, and good luck, good luck in your uh, sports investing with your bookie. But uh, I think he raises a good point, John. Like the odds, the odds that are offered by BC Lottery Corporation um, pretty much suck, really. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, like it, if you go to a if you go to a real sports like a real sports book in Vegas or whatever, the odds would be better than what they what they offer you at at BC Lottery Corporation. I mean, that's just the way they operate. Absolutely. I mean, you know, they're in the business of making money as well. And so there's got to be some control, I guess, on some of the numbers that they can offer. But I, I think it's a great point by the caller that this is happening. And well, there's a, there's a gray know. area where the enforcement can't be done because, again, it's it's kind of an honor system, which we know isn't working. Well, yeah, because people are going to they're going to put their bets down. I mean, this guy, this guy's betting with his bookie. Uh, other people are going to go online. I mean, there are massive, huge websites on the internet that take will take your money as Bodog or whatever. I mean, these they're doing billions of dollars in business just openly with impunity. Mm-hmm. And, and then you've got the government of Canada just sort of standing there twiddling their thumbs while all this money goes out of the country. So I don't know why they just don't don't do it. I mean, people are going to bet on it anyway. So you might as well get a piece of the action. 
and, and use some of the profits for health care, education, all the other stuff. We God knows the government needs money. Oh, 604-280-9898 is the number. Call me and tell me what you think. 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell. Roy in New West. Hey, Roy. Yeah, what I would really like to see BC Lottery do is open up to off-track bidding uh, at your local lottery costs with the odds that X-Park puts out. You can go off, bet a horse. Off-track, off oh, bet on horse racing? Yes, off-track. Okay. I, I don't, ha- don't they have that now? Not locally. I think out of town you can. I'm not sure. Okay. Maybe somebody could answer that question. Okay, John, do you know? No, unfortunately, I'm going to have to uh, uh, look into this myself, do some researching, which is a shame. I grew up in Cloverdale, so we know there's a track down there. Yeah. Okay. Now, the, the interesting thing about this is that single game sports betting is something that has been on the agenda in Canada for quite a long time. And you may very well see the federal government move in this direction. There is a bill in the House of Commons, Bill C-13, which would amend the criminal code and it would allow people to plunk down a bet on a single game and that may very well uh, go forward here there's certainly a lot of pressure from the provinces here to do it let's squeeze in one more call dwight in Kelowna. hi dwight hey how are you two things i'm not a big gambler but i do believe that uh, let's keep the revenue in the country and open it up because people are going to bet we might as well keep it right the second thing in the whole gambling in the country where we've set it up with uh casinos and from this individual that flew up north 10 million dollar salary and yeah, shares yeah. i think there's other monies that could be had as well that are just going through our taxpayers fingers dwight thanks a lot for the call okay we'll see what happens uh this sunday in the super bowl john do you have any predictions for what's going to happen in the super bowl i know you're a big sports fan yeah, that's right. I think the Chiefs are so popular because the offense looks so good. But I have to say the Tampa Bay defensive line matches up really well with what uh, Kansas City likes to do. So I'm not an expert. I can't be a financial advisor. But personally, I'm putting <laughs> some cash down on the Buccaneers. Okay, okay, going with Brady. Yes, sir. Don't bet against Brady. John, thank you for that.